0: To everyday theology, where we don't tell you what to believe or why to believe it, but rather explore our Christian beliefs and why they matter for us in relation to God, to creation, and to others. My name is Aaron Ross. Welcome back to Everyday Theology. With me today, I have someone who I just have recently met. Was super excited to meet him. His name is Ryan Beatty, and I think we're going to have a really great conversation today. I think people who are listening are going to really, really like uh, the way we're going to go. At least I say that and hopeful that it will. But Ryan, thanks so much for for joining me today.
1: Yeah, Aaron, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for inviting me. This should be fun.
0: Yeah. For for my listeners, Ryan, um, he is, I had this whole thing written up to read and now it's not on my screen because I changed the screen. That's really terrible of me. But I'm happy you are, to talk about it. Well, you're a PhD candidate at the University of Oklahoma in yeah. Communication Studies. Yeah. Uh, you have your MDiv. Um, yes. And your Communication Studies have kind of this interesting crossover with some of this religious stuff that we're going to talk about today. Yeah. And, and to let the listeners know, right, we met at the Society for Pentecostal Studies. I went to listen to uh, a panel discussion, and we'll get into what the panel discussion was about, but it's one of the few times, and I and I say this sincerely. It's one of the few times I actually have gone to an academic society and listened to something, and again, I want more on that. Like a lot of times, there's great papers, and a lot of times there's great, you know. But then I I I heard your your presentation, and I just said, I want to have more conversations on that because that makes sense and it's important. Um, now I'm not saying other people's aren't important, but for sure. me, I was just like, this is this is it. So. Before we dive into that, though, Ryan, maybe you can just give a little bit about yourself to my audience so they get to know you a little bit more about who you are.
1: Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Uh, yeah, again, my name is Ryan Beatty, and I'm a third-year PhD student at the University of Oklahoma. I study organizational, intergroup, and interpersonal communication. Uh, I spent 20 years uh, as a pastor before coming back to academia. Uh, I uh, worked in churches in... Uh, Texas and Arkansas. I worked for denominational corporate offices. Uh, my last church was I uh, planted a church in Houston, Texas, in 2011, uh, and we pastored that church uh, until November of uh, 2020 when we merged it with one of the daughter churches that we planted out of our church. Yeah. Uh, a- in preparation to move here to Norman, Oklahoma, where I now live uh, as a student at uh, the University of Oklahoma Uh, and so at uh, OU that you know I just said what I study uh, I teach communication at OU I'm the director of our basic communication course so the communication 101 that every student Mm -hmm. uh, has to generally Mm -hmm. take I'm the director of that course I also teach Uh, fundamentals of public speech over at mid-america christian university which is also here uh, in oklahoma city Uh, and i teach online for a few other universities as well
0: yeah what that's a big jump so i I just before we get into that conversation what made you decide like i mean 20 years being a pastor if it's not too personal of a question to ask like what made you decide to go from that and jump back into uh academia which is uh a world to its own, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is, right? So uh, I h- knew for a while that I wanted to earn my doctorate, uh, but I also knew I didn't want to do a doctorate of ministry. Uh, so in looking at PhD in religious studies and theological studies, I hate the languages.
0: <laughs> I yeah, uh, I took I took six hours of Greek <laughs> and
1: six hours of Hebrew at my master's level, and I was like, never, never again. Uh, and so my, the focus and concentration of my MDiv was expository preaching. Uh, so communications, big part of what I've done for yeah. a long time. So when I got, to the point to where I was saying, okay, this is the time. And we knew it was the time because I was working a second job because our church plant was never large. It was urban right in the middle of Houston. So we never had more than about 30 people, which is pretty incredible considering what God did in those nine years, planted Mm. two other churches and, uh, out of us as well as started other ministries. And so, uh, when it got to the point to where I was like, Hey, you know, it's, it's time. Um, And like I said, we knew it was time because my second job that I was working at came to me and said, we've had a budget shortfall and Mm -hmm. we're probably going to have to lay you off in six months. Um, And so uh, we were like, hey, so what do we want to do next? And uh, we were pastoring at the time. My wife was leading the church that I had planted before we got married. And she felt a release from the Holy Spirit from our church. So we said, hey, doctoral time it is. Yeah. And so I talked to uh, my former dean and another friend, and both of them were like, hey, man, communication studies is the place for you and particularly organizational communication. Yeah. Uh, and so that led me down the track of, all right, who do I want to study with? And I am extraordinarily fortunate uh, and, and blessed uh, because the University of Oklahoma has a rich Uh, Communication Studies Tradition, and uh, Dr. Ryan Beisel, who is my advisor, uh, is commonly understood to be and has been named one of the top five organizational communication scholars of the last 20 years, Yeah, Uh, and so working with him has been an honor. Uh, He's also a strong believer who loves Jesus with all of his heart, leads worship at a local church plant himself, and so uh, it just was a match literally made in heaven. Hold
0: on, Ryan. Hold on. So you're telling me there are Christians and non-Christian universities who teach?
1: I know, right? It's it's contrary to popular Whoa. Christian belief. <laughs> right. uh, there are believers uh, throughout these universities, and uh, so I am surprise. very fortunate that uh, I have been able to learn from one of the best in my in my field. Yeah, in the that's last amazing. twenty years, for sure.
0: That's no, it's incredible, Ryan. And and you know, I I don't. It, this idea of communication studies, because that's really what we're, we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about your field of work and kind of some of the things that you've been working on. It's really fascinating because I, I will say this to start our conversation. When I heard your presentation, not to, to be punny about it, it made sense. Like hearing the way that you talked about and now that now let's say what the topic is sense making and what sense making is and why sense making is used and how it's engaged with and 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 how it's so prevalent and maybe even at times or maybe mostly this process of sense making is used subconsciously or unconsciously in ways that we don't know it it's it's almost as if someone said to you hey I know, I, well, maybe the MBTI, people know this, right? Myers-Briggs. Like you, you take it and all of a sudden you read about it and you go, oh, this makes so much sense. Like this gives me the language to something that I knew, but I didn't know that I knew. And now that you give me the language, this makes a lot of sense to me. And your discussion on sense-making, it was kind of like the perfect world of going, you were able to explain the way in which we process, particularly in this conversation about the Billy Graham rule and, and the issues surrounding kind of why we make these kind of decisions about who we have meetings with or lunches with or whatever uh, is the process of sense making. And it, it clicks so much that I was like, I have to ask Ryan to be on the podcast. I want to have more discussions on this, even if it's just for me, because I'm fascinated. So I say all that to say, Ryan the the floor is yours, but maybe just start by saying kind of what is this theory of sense making that you've kind of engaged with and are using to help within your communication studies? And why is it so vital that particularly us within the kind of Christian communities understand this process, uh, and know what to do with it?
1: Yeah. So sense making is a theory that was first developed by, um, a, a man named Carl Weick, uh, Published on in nineteen ninety five, so it's uh, an old theory for communication. It would be considered a very young theory for theologians, right? Uh, But for us, if it lasts more than twenty years, then you're you know you're talking you're talking a seriously established theory. Uh, And so since making, again, established by Carl Weick in 1995, what it does is it explains how individuals as well as organizations respond reflexively uh, when their status quo is disrupted. Hmm. So when the norm of life um, is disrupted, you you subconsciously engage in sense making you just do it all the time it's a naturally occurring ongoing process that is constantly taking place right uh, and so it it just it's this subconscious thing it's the way that every person makes sense of all that's happening around them all the time you know and so like you look outside and it's raining you subconsciously grab an umbrella why because your status quo's been disrupted you see what's going on, right. you quickly process what's going on, you quickly decide on an action, you enact that action, and you reestablish status quo in a new way, right? So, I mean, it's just that simple um, that it is the way that an individual reflexively responds to any interruption in the status quo. What almost
0: is in that in that doing. thing? Almost like the difference between that or someone who stops and goes, It's raining. Do I want to walk outside? Do I want to get wet? Do I want do I need an umbrella? Do I want to go get this jacket? Like someone who right. actually takes the time to go, what is this? process happening it's right i just need an umbrella and i'm gonna go right
1: yeah and that is also sense making but that is that is what we like to call like slowed sense making Hmm. because the majority of the time sense making like i said happens below the surface yeah it's just constantly occurring below the surface uh however when it is a major disruption in status quo which we talk about the introduction of anxiety or ambiguity Hmm. uh when when anxiety or ambiguity is introduced to a person's life or to an organization's life, then attention is given to this thing and to sense making ah, and sense making okay. right. slows down and becomes apparent because once anxiety and ambiguity are uh are introduced you give attention to it hmm so you begin to pay attention yep. to it. Right. Uh, then once you pay attention to it, we just naturally start to say, so what caused this? What's the attribution? What's the, and so attribution's the term, but what's the story here? What's behind what's going on? So I've yeah. got, I got this status quo going on. I got, I'm on autopilot. We, we talk about it with seven A's. That's why I keep coming back to these A words. <laughs> so I'm in autopilot. And in comes anxiety and ambiguity, uh, which causes me uh, to give uh, to give attention to what's going on. And now I've got to give attribution to what mm. caused this thing right. uh, that that is going on. So what's the story here? Uh, you know, and uh, and and that's where people a lot of people uh, live is they live in what's the story. Well, why did this happen? you know? Uh, and this is, and this is, uh, to, to the point back, um, with the presentation at SPS, this is where we find that the Billy Graham rule kicks in for organizations that, uh, enact the Billy Graham rule, uh, is, is this attribution stage. Uh, and so what, with using the Billy Graham Rule as an example, uh, which for your listeners, if you're not familiar with the Billy Graham Rule, the Billy Graham Rule is a is one of is considered one of the four aspects of the Modesto Manifesto. Uh, the Modesto Manifesto was a guiding document that the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association put together in the '60s uh, between Billy Graham and his leaders, uh, in which. Uh, they made in order to be the, the best they could be for the Lord and for their, the people that they serve, uh, they made uh, a four uh, pronged approach to how they would live their lives uh, in a vulnerability as, as a ministry. And so it was, they would never exaggerate their attendance figures. Uh, they would uh, be open and honest about their finances Uh, They would never criticize fellow members of the clergy uh, and that they would never be alone with members of the opposite sex in public. Uh, So so, and, and this was all this way because like Billy Graham was more famous than Elvis at this point. Right. And so they were trying to make sure that everything was above board with him. What's happened since the 60s is everybody's forgotten the other three, except right. they hold on to that one about not meeting right. with the other uh, opposite sex. But what they've done is now they say, well, we don't meet with the member of the op- an, another member of the opposite sex in private. Billy Graham wouldn't do it in public because the last thing he needed was for a paparazzi to snap a shot of him and another woman having dinner. And all of a sudden, it's all over the tablet.
0: Right? He
1: right. would meet with women in private to do pastoral counseling and care and that kind of stuff. Today, pastors, people, even Vice President Mike Pence enacted the Billy Graham rule uh, as a way to that they would say to keep themselves safe from potential sexual impropriety, and so they would never meet with a member of the opposite sex alone. The reason that they enact this rule, it's all sense-making, right? Their buddy down the street slept with their secretary. So it introduces anxiety and ambiguity to the status quo of their organization. Because it's such a big deal, they put attention to it. Then when they're at attention, they're like, okay, what's the story here? Now, here's the thing about sense-making. Sense-making does not automatically gravitate to the truest answer. It gravitates yeah. to the most plausible answer right. or to a plausible answer yeah. that does not further disrupt status quo. So when it comes to the Billy Graham rule in particular, it's super easy for the, for the attribution to be, well, the problem is he met with a woman alone. Therefore, the next step, which is action, what am I going to do about this? My action is going to be, I'm never going to meet with a woman alone.
0: Right. Right. Right.
1: simple, plausible, easily done. So I'm, so that's the action. I'm never going to meet with a woman alone. That then provides, uh, anodyne, which is this psychosocial coping mechanism that makes me feel great about what I've done that reaffirms who I am and what my organization is and my values. And I go right back into autopilot. Yeah. Which- so, you know, that's a sense-making pro- uh, um, prospect, uh, process, uh, using the Billy Graham rule as an example.
0: Which I think, you know, not to overstate it, but you know, that, that point there that you made, the, it is, it is the status quo, right? The disruption of the status quo. And it really is more about getting back to the status quo Yes, it is than it is saying, okay, there is a problem here, but what's the actual problem? It's more about how do I make my life stay comfortable amidst, this uncomfortable potential situation here,
1: right? How do I, how do I return to status quo with as minimal change as possible? Mm. And it can be as minimal organizational institutional change. It can be as minimal personal value change. It can be as minimal, uh, work-life balance change, whatever it is. How do I return to status quo to autopilot uh, with as minimal change as possible. thus I will choose I will attribute the problem to the to a plausible though maybe not actually true
0: cause right. right. But it because makes me issue, feel
1: good when I enact it.
0: Because the issue isn't that the pastor has some issues in his life, right? that he needs to actually deal with in terms right. of his, his lusting or his his sexual impropriety issues, his own sinfulness. The issue is just that they ended up having an office close to each other and right would therefore yeah. would have to meet in private and sometimes after hour. Well, you know what I mean? Whatever it is, yeah. like it's easier because now I don't have to say to myself, if that's my buddy down the road, I don't have to say to myself, is this issue in me? Do I have some of this that I need to because Is he an example for what could be coming for me if I'm not, right? Well, it's much easier, like you're saying, right, to just make the claim. Well, I won't have an office next to someone or I won't share an office with someone of the, you know, opposite sex and done. We're good. Like it should be fine, right?
1: Somebody in private of the opposite sex. And, and ultimately this all seems or sounds very reasonable to a lot of people, right? They're like, it's a very reasonable guideline. And and while I'm not going to disagree that it may sound like a very reasonable guideline, what I am going to say is that in adopting this guideline, uh, you do what you just said is you remove the onus on yourself to do deep self-evaluation. Yeah. You remove your responsibility for discipling, caring for and leading members of the opposite sex. You also enact sense making in them hmm you cause the process to start in them because now they have heard from their pastor that they are not worthy of their pastor's time. They are not trustworthy. They are dangerous to their pastor and their pastor's family. And so now what does that mean for them and their place in ministry and their faith and what what they believe God has called them to? And so it starts a sense-making process process in somebody else because yeah. you have destabilized their status quo. you they thought you were their pastor you're their spiritual leader you're going to give insight and input in that you're going to help them grow as a minister not anymore at best through a proxy
0: yeah or or the pastor's wife right or the co-pastor right. who's the who, who doesn't preach very much and you know who doesn't kind of attribute those things but yeah you can go mm-hmm. over here right it's it's fascinating to me because and this is where I, you know, said it, it's very much we like hearing it again. I'm like, man, this makes so much sense. Yes, this I can see this play out in my life. I can see it play out in so many different spaces. And what I find helpful about having this conversation is then it, it takes us to the next question: How do I not make this sense-making thing so autopilot, where I go just to that 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 plausible section? And how do I stop for a second and go, okay, yeah, that is a plausible, but what's in the world of plausible and how do we determine truthfulness in there? I mean, what would you say to someone who's like, I don't want to constantly do this, even though we all are going to, but how do we critically evaluate and reflect on our sense-making processes?
1: Yeah, I think that first of all, uh, anytime that uh, our decision-making is going to affect other people, uh, we need to pause. Uh, and so anytime you think that organizationally, interpersonally, uh, our decision making is going to affect other people, we need to pause and consider how it may affect them. And so if we will do that, then we can then we can ask deeper questions. Uh, I also think getting more people involved in the process uh, is is, is always a good answer. Very often, particularly when it comes to like the Billy Graham rule, as an example, uh, this decision is made in isolation, right? Mm. Pastors aren't going to their elders or advisors and going, Hey, um, my friend down the street slept with his secretary. I never want anything like that to happen here. So what do we think are some things that we can do to ensure that won't happen here. They aren't doing that. They're coming to their board and their elders and they're saying, hey, my buddy slept with his secretary down the street. I don't want that to happen here. So just so you know, moving forward, here's going to be our policy. Right. Bam. And there's no invite for pushback. There's no invitation for interaction. It's just the decision was made in isolation and they're moving forward with it, right? Uh, If, however they would come and say, okay, this happened. I never want that kind of thing to happen here. Let's brainstorm this out. Let's talk about why we think this would happen there, how or why we think this may would happen here. I also think that, um, that again, if we're using the Billy Graham rule as an example, these are decisions made about men by men. It may be yeah, helpful to right. have some women in the room. Right. right. Uh, because uh, we are not as attractive as we think we are. Not every woman wants to jump us. Right. And so uh, maybe having some women in the room to be like, mm, slow your ego, uh, that,
0: you know, right? you know. <laughs> right. Nah, you
1: know you, you are, you are not, uh, you are not just a piece of prime rib out there hanging all the time that women are trying to jump on. Right. Uh, and so including more voices to the conversation and asking hard questions in humility, um, well, I think will help us get to a, uh, I think it'll help us get to a more fulsome response. Now I do think that, right. Like, as you're creating your action plan, one of the things could be, um, all of our offices will have windows in the doors so that anybody could look in at any time and see that we're meeting with people. Right. Right. Because that wouldn't just protect you from sleeping with your secretary. Uh, it would also protect you from other forms of abuse or whatever that's going on. Or if somebody's breaking into your office and stealing something, right? Like, you know, so that kind of thing could be a part of the action plan. But, it, but it, if, if you do the deeper work to create a plan that multiple people have had insight and thought into, uh, then you're, you're actually protecting more than just the pastor. You're protecting a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, and you're being responsible for the kingdom uh, that God's given you oversight or your aspect of the kingdom that God's given you oversight of.
0: It, it's crazy. I mean, I, I just need to call it out. So it's crazy that the first three rules, the Billy Graham, the, you know, the, the, uh, Modesto manifesto are just completely ignored. Uh, because I actually think they're some of the most important. Uh, yeah. because un- until you are of the Billy Graham level of, uh, in pop culture i don't think we're so concerned about paparazzi taking picture of you having a meeting right. at a coffee shop with a congregant who's of the opposite sex right right like but those so i just want to call that out because i know some people are going to listen to that and go wow i wish my church was actually transparent with the finances what are they actually spending money on what are what are what are we actually doing when we talk about our numbers i mean uh, I, the amount of churches that would just like to say that they have X amount of numbers because X number of hands went up on a Sunday, you know, right. and this you have the repeat offenders of salvation happening yeah. every other week. Right. And now I've got 20,000 people in my church that whatever. Right. Right. Like, and, you know, the
1: humility that it takes to do this, because, because one of the things about it is billy graham actually when they created this modesto manifesto they actually changed the way they were doing things a lot of people are really aware of the fact that in the early days of billy graham crusades when he gave an altar call his altar workers had were spread out through the audience and they would get up and come to the altar to make it seem like more people were coming because it made people who were on the fence Feel more comfortable and anonymous, you know, and, and when they created the Modesto Manifesto, they stopped doing that because, because Mm. it manipulated
0: appearances. I, I, I never knew that. See, like, and that's fascinating because it was, I mean, I don't know, 10 years ago now or something mega church in I think South Carolina that was doing this very thing for spontaneous baptisms, Mm -hmm. right? The church plants like the, the, okay, well, you and you and you, you're, you're all, you know, you 20 are going to get up to come to the spontaneous baptism and that's going to help usher other people in. And, and the hard part is it's always done with the, I can't say always, but there is always the air of this is for the benefit of the kingdom and people. Right, right. Yeah. Whether it's manipulative or not, or whether it really is actually, uh, you know, I don't want to say forcing because it's not forcing, but kind of creating these spaces that are are untrue spaces or not. We can justify it because it's better for the right. kingdom. Quote unquote, yeah, right?
1: rationalization is a big part of the story we tell ourselves. Uh, when in in this entire process, right? Like I I'm doing a study right now, which I'm not ready to talk about publicly. But I but I've been reading about um, the Penn State scandal in which they covered up the sexual abuse for years. Uh, how Mars Hill conducted itself yeah. over those last couple of years, and just about how organizations look at cover up, uh, excuse moral ignorance, or or they they um, uh, they. How they allow themselves to turn the blind eye to what they know is happening uh, because uh, they rationalize that um, that so much good in the kingdom is happening. Yeah. As a result of these things, that we're just going to turn our block, we're just going to ignore the little things that eventually, right? A little leaven spoils, you know, the whole bunch. Um, and so, you know, one rotten apple. Well,
0: we're not done here today, but whenever you are ready to talk about (laughs) that, uh, because, because we have unfortunately so many examples now of these kind of things happening that, that are being made into documentaries, right? Whether it's the Hillsong scandals that are being made into documentaries, which, which are continuing with, I think at the time that we're recording this, uh, a certain person in that will be going to trial, uh, in Australia based on some cover-up things. And, and by the time it's posted, that's going to be, I believe finalized. So we're, we're going to see what happens in that time period, but that's years of quote unquote covering up, right? We can talk about the Catholic church with the covering up of, of the sex abuses of children, right. Yeah. Or n- new ones that were just just, dis- discussed in Texas with Baylor. And, and from what I'm now hearing from even you, much grander than than the media is letting on. And the problem with, especially like, let's say that one right now is this is starting that sense-making process for a lot of people, right? right? Like, aha, we heard about this Chi Alpha minister that was abusing, sexually abusing children. So now what is the most plausible thing that's going to fix this thing and like let's implement that tomorrow yeah and aha look at us guys we've made a fix and and right. it'll be a new rule but it it still never gets at the actual right. heart of why is it that we have ministers let's just ask this question why do we have a slate and it seems to be a continually growing slate of ministers having sex abuse scandals with both right. minors with with same-gendered people as we've seen in the past and still seeing with, with you know, other gendered, right? Yeah. Like, why haven't know, as we, we asked speak, that question?
1: Yeah, and you know, as we speak right now, the Southern Baptists are meeting, and oh, they've yeah. been in turmoil the last couple of yep. years because of uh, the reporting of the Houston Chronicle and 700 cases in Texas of a pastoral abuse, you know? And uh, and it's been very obvious how much they've been engaging in sense making, um, because there's been such fight around reform, uh, around institutional yeah. systematic reform, the whenever we hear of situations like this, in which a priest, a pastor, a campus minister has abused or molested or uh, in some way taken advantage of a person, the when when organizations which Uh, As an organizational scholar, I have 100% confidence in making this statement that every organization, no matter their mission statement, has a primary reason to exist, and they exist to exist. Hmm. Everything else that they say about themselves, their mission, their values, whatever, their vision comes after their number Hmm. one goal, which is existing to exist. The greatest Example of that in the world is the March of Dimes. The March of Dimes is an organization that was started to help cure childhood polio. Childhood polio's been gone since the 50s. <laughs> right.
0: right. Yeah, we all right. yet yeah,
1: the March of Dimes is still around. Why is that? Because after they cured childhood polio, they created a new broader mission statement that can never be achieved so that their organization right. can continue to exist. Right. So every organization exists to exist. So when these kinds of things come up, the the most plausible, the most uh self um um, um, pleasuring is not the right word, but, uh, reinforcing <clears throat> those most self value reinforcing thing to do is the sense-making process says fire that pastor. Mm. Right. Yeah. So immediately, okay. Uh, this person abused somebody fire them. Okay. we we've, we've taken care of the issue. Never then going, what was the cultural conditions in which allowed this person right. to get hired to begin with? Right. What was the cultural conditions that allowed this person to make it through our ordination process? Where were they socialized into believing that this was okay. And this was part of the kingdom of God. Did yeah. we have any part in that socialization, that discipleship that moved in right. that way, instead of asking all of these questions, which would require, much more work and disruption and honesty yep. and humility they they fire the guy they suspend them they remove their credentials whatever and they say see we've responded we've done our part yeah no you've done the easiest quickest most expedient right. politically and organizational response which uh, ultimately uh, band gave a put a band-aid on an artery wound
0: yep yeah, we won't we won't create new accountability or understand where our lack of accountability created this. We're just gonna hope that the next person isn't going to uh cause the same problems that our lack of accountability have just caused, right? Right. I mean, I think I think back to that your example. The pastor down the road has, you know, an affair, and now that the his buddy, his other pastor is like, okay, I want to create a rule. It's, it's much harder for that pastor to go, you know what? I see in my own life a penchant of lust and of desire that needs to be out of me. And it is time for me to take a step back from being a pastor because I'm not healthy enough to actually engage with members of the opposite sex mm. in ways that are healthy. So I have to take right? Because no pastor wants to do that. Right. I mean, how many or, pastors or have you ever heard say, say, I'm not going to pastor for now because I've recognized in myself the sinfulness that I need to to deal with. And so I'm going to go and maybe that means I don't come back to this church, right. but I need to go back and I need to sit with some therapy and with, right.
1: Yeah. Or say things like, Hey, uh, I do need to engage a therapist. I need to engage a small group. Um, I recognize that I have a sense of need for control. And that if, and that I cope with the situations around me uh, because of my uh, penchant towards control. Uh, And so those are things that, that maybe I can work on while still pastoring, but those are things I need to work on, right? Like, like those are things that I, that I need to head off at the pass right now Uh, because all of those, all of that deep work is circumvented by policies, which, which policies aren't bad. Every organization needs right. them. Uh, but when your policies exist in part to circumvent kingdom right. work in your own heart, right. you're in trouble.
0: Yeah, which I think about an organization that you and I have both been a part of, uh, as we learned talking before this, that has things like we have a specific chair at our national office that is supposed to be for someone who is a minority, Mm -hmm. right? Or we have a chair that's specific to it has to be a woman. Well, on face value, yes, that sounds great. We are trying to have some inclusive processes in which we are making sure that someone of a minority does have a seat at the table and a woman does have a seat at the table. But in that same vein, it is a Band-Aid fix to the cultural issues that actually says you know you know what we never have someone who's actually a minority just voted in
1: very rarely at this point yeah and, right and and you know and and sometimes those band-aid fixes are necessary for the normalization right. of the idea and the socialization process however it is sad that we that we need those band-aids to begin with
0: Right. Yeah. Or the band-aids become that we don't have to work on this anymore because right. look what we have, right? Yes. Like, like we don't have to become a healthy organization because we have put someone at the table. So check mark, right? right? Yes. Um, I, I think in this conversation, one of the things you just said, I want to just get your thoughts on it. Maybe there's nothing here, but maybe there is, but you, you're bringing up that control issue, with sense making, those seem to be just on the outset for someone not trained in this intertwined. Yeah. Right. How, how is it that control and sense making are just feeding off of each other? If that's the right way to say it.
1: Yeah. Well, control is always looking to reestablish status quo. Control is always looking to push toward um, comfort. Mm. Uh, And so um, the, the actions that we, uh, engage in, in the sense-making process, whether it's the unconscious normal all the time, uh, process or the slowed intentional process, uh, sense-making, uh, control is often found in that action or, and that action reinforces control, right? Like, hmm. and, and so, right. so control makes us feel good.
0: Yeah. And right. so,
1: so that action, like I said earlier, action serves as anodyne. Anodyne is like, it's a numbing agent. Hmm. Uh, and so, yeah. um, so when we, we do the action, it, it serves as like Tylenol to a headache or <laughs> ice, yeah. you know, icy hot to a sore muscle. Right. Uh, and it numbs the pain it helps us return to status quo. It helps us, hey, I did something about this. Look how great mm, I am. Or, yeah. or I achieved, I, I did my job. I did something about this. You know, and so, and so it's just or or um, we now I oh I feel good moving forward because now this won't happen to me because I put right. something in place. I have control to keep this from ever happening to me, which, you know, uh, because obviously the only place that pastors ever have affairs is in their church office, right? right? Right. They never invite women to their homes when their families are out of town. They never get hotel rooms in the next town over that, you know, all of that jazz, right?
0: Yep. Yep. It's really interesting because I feel like and and maybe, maybe there is, maybe there isn't, I would love to, to know, you know, are there studies out there that kind of look at people who have a potent, a penchant for more control tend to have more of the sense-making reality in their life in which they try to keep the status quo, or are there people who don't have as much desire for control where they might stop a bit and ask some of these other questions because they, they're not, you know, again, this is more just anecdotal questions. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so I think, uh, so Within the communication world, uh, I'm not aware of any doesn't mean they don't exist. Yeah. Where I would if I was going to search that out where I would start is by looking at the big five personality uh, aspects within um, IO psych and psychology, uh, because, Mm. you know, there's there's the Myers-Briggs, and there is Enneagram, and there's all of those out there, which all help us put language to how we feel into what we know right. about ourselves. But the big five personality types have been uh, empirically and analytically resor- researched and resourced for years and years and years. Uh, and so we we know uh, that those from a, from a academic and Uh, point of view, we know that there's great strength to those. So if I was going to study that, that's where I would first start looking. And and we do know that, like, we do know things like extroverts uh, tend to be, uh, tend to be found more often as leaders and also tend toward uh, control in different ways that introverts do, right? Hmm. Um, Yeah. uh, But again, that's the IO psych and uh, psychology world, uh, which I Dabble <laughs> well,
0: and I'm clearly not qualified to ask those questions, uh, or at least research them at all. I will leave that to people much smarter than I am, but you know, I maybe Ryan, when I think about this, we talked a little bit about it, but say someone's listening to the podcast or watching the podcast, and and they go, you know, what I am a leader of an organization, I see what this sense making is, you know. Being someone who's an expert in communication and 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 organizational structures, uh, how does how does someone kind of say, look, I want to set up ways again. Typically, it's those you know we have we have our rules or we have whatever in place, right? How does someone say, I want I want my organization to be more intentional within our sense making, that stops at that place of trying to tell the story or what's the most plausible and actually spends time asking these. Other questions like like how would you say you can help an organization or a person leading organization go? This is how maybe some ideas for implementing these kind of things.
1: Yeah, I think that if you first and foremost decide that um decisions that impact anybody more than you aren't made in isolation. Mm. Okay, start start there. Start by saying uh, if, this is a, if this is the decision that's going to impact my staff, if this is a decision that's going to impact my church members, if this is a decision that's going to impact um, my employees, uh, my volunteers, uh, then I don't make this decision in isolation. Uh, people will say, you know, and I think that pastors have this propensity towards this, and I, and I understand why. I was a pastor for 20 years. I understand why. We take this responsibility so heavy, uh, that God has given us to lead the flock. Right. And so we want to do the right thing because we love Jesus and we love them. Um, and so we want to do the right thing.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't see a time anywhere in the new Testament scriptures in which a leader made a decision about the church in isolation, right? Yeah. All the time. All the time, the 12 are getting together, right? Paul never travels alone, right? He always right. takes people with him. Um And so there's all the the churches set up. There's no there's no example even of the in the New Testament of having like a singular pastor heading a local assembly. It's a group of elders always. And so decisions are never made in isolation. They're always made in community and in conversation. And so if the decision is going to affect anybody beyond you include other people in the decision making process. Uh, and then, and then I think that, uh, to quote from my friend, Ted Lasso, get curious, <laughs> right? Get curious. Yeah. Um, and so ask people for their input, ask people. I used to work for an amazing pastor who she always used to say, now push back on me. She mm. would, she would give a thought and then conclude it with now push back on me. What am I missing? Yeah. And that kind of approach not only um, took the weight off of her for being the the singular decision maker in all things, it brought in new perspectives, it brought in diversity of opinions, it brought in uh, vantage points that otherwise would not have been had. Uh, it and and it got buy in from everybody around the around the decision-making process, Uh, because if you just impose a policy that's going to impact me without ever talking to me about how it's going to impact me, I may resent it. Uh, It may not work for me at all. Right. Um, And so, so you don't make decisions in isolation and be curious. Uh, And so, and so I think that, I think that if you will take those approaches, it'll go, it'll go a long way. Now, are we ever going to fully um, do everything right? No, of course not. And here's the thing too, sense making is not bad. We all do it all the time. It's, it is our natural way in which the human mind makes decisions. Right. However, there are times in which the, the, the uh, thing that kicks us off of autopilot is of such import uh, that a snap, reactive, reflexive decision is not what's best yeah. in that point in time. Yeah. And that's when we have to slow the process, be intentional, include other people, be curious, ask the questions, uh, and embrace the suck. You know, if, if, it, <laughs> if it sucks, you know, it may suck. The best right. thing for you and your organization may be painful. Yeah. Uh, but no pain, no gain.
0: I, I love that, especially even thinking about kind of the leadership aspect of this and, and your example there with the pastor, because to me, that's a sign of an actually healthy leader that can say, here's my idea, here's my thoughts, but tell me where I'm wrong. And say that confidently with the, the assumption of, I could be wrong. And I'm literally saying, tell me where I'm wrong, and I can agree with you when I'm wrong. Is a, is a quality of leader that I, s- I think we so rarely see anymore because we see so many leaders who their perspective of leadership is, I make the decisions, you carry them out, mm-hmm. versus I help organize or lead an organization and we're all leading this organization, but someone's just got to be at the top. <laughs> Someone's got to be able to manage this, right?
1: People want to act like early Exodus Moses instead of late Exodus Moses. Mm. People want to act like the Moses that went up the mountain by himself and came down with edicts uh in 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 early exodus instead of late exodus where his father in law is like you can't do this on your own
0: get these people to
1: help you and to where Moses is like you're right you're right you're right and gets these people to help judge and do the work and everything else yeah. people feel more important when they're when they're mountaintop carrying the ten commandments Exodus than they do when they're like I can't handle all this ex- I need more help Exodus right but yet it's later Moses it is it is uh, Moses early, early Exodus. Moses is deliverer Moses, right? Yeah. Late Exodus. Moses is pastor Moses. It's he he's lead the nation Moses, right? There he transforms. Hmm. He becomes a different leader over that, over that amount of time. Um, and, and, and pastors and not just pastors, right? Academic leaders you know, and, and no, and there are no egos like academic egos,
0: right? (laughs) And so, but
1: academic leaders, business leaders, volunteer organization, member organizations, leaders within all of these different organizations, we do ourselves such a disservice. If we think I've got to be the one person that hears from God on the mountaintop and then delivers the edict to the people instead of saying, okay, I need help. I can't handle this all on my own, uh, and I need people around me to help make decisions, do the sacrifices, lead the worship, yada, 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 which is what we find in late Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy.
0: And, And also importantly, that other people other than the leader hear from God. Absolutely. Right? This kind of perspective that only one hears from God ends up creating these authoritarian structures that allow for a lot of these abuses that we've talked about, right? That allow for yeah. all these problems because, well, that person is the person who hears. I mean, it's, yeah, it can be infuriating when you realize you know, and I'll talk in our Pentecostal talk, right? The, the prophethood right. of all believers no longer exists because there is a prophet. right? And that's the, the pastor. And the rest of it is just, well, you should just be good little sheep and do what I say. Right. Right. Um, man, Ryan, so important. I hope people have thought, have, have found this helpful and important, uh, cause it is, I definitely am going to have you back whenever you do some of that other research and we can Great. talk about that yeah. before we go though, what am I missing in asking you? Right. And in, in the world of sense-making that we've, that we've discussed, um, are there anything else? Is there any other key element to it that we haven't been able to discuss or, you know, we talked a little bit about how I just finished that documentary, the happy shiny people. And, Mm -hmm. and we see the abuses of IBLP and, and, and maybe too early to kind of process that in light of sense making, but, but there's so much there too, I think. Um, but what, what, what could, what could I have missed in asking you that you're like, you know what, there's this other thing that we really should talk about.
1: Um you know it I I really do think that um that we've covered most of it today, Aaron. Good. I think that yeah. uh yeah, and I think that you know sense making is a it's it's a big heavy theory that has spawned all kinds of work by all kinds of people, uh of fantastic scholars, and it and it's cornerstone to my you know much of my organizational communication intergroup research right um and so it's, it's a rich uh, theory that it, that helps us ex- explain a lot and yeah. um and so i i just hope that people who hear this today um will hear will hear my heart to say uh in be curious think about people other than yourself Engage others in the process so that um, you don't just make sense for you,
0: mm, you make right.
1: sense for everybody.
0: Yeah. Your status quo doesn't just get to stay your status quo when everyone right. else's has, has to change, right? Um, that's really good, Ryan. Ryan, I know there are people that are going to be curious about this. Where can they follow you, your work? you know, what, what can be out there that they can keep engaging with this theory and your work on this theory, yeah. um, to help them out along the way.
1: Yeah. So, uh, I'm pretty active on Twitter, uh, and Instagram, uh, or not, not Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter and LinkedIn are places that any, I, so, uh, I pretty much let anybody follow me on Twitter and I will pretty <laughs> much engage with anybody over LinkedIn. Cause I'm trying to keep my networks open. Uh, so, um, I, uh, on LinkedIn, I post, Only about professional stuff like this Uh, on Twitter. You're going to get stuff like this. You're also going to get a healthy dose of Houston Astros baseball and Star Wars. Uh, So just know that uh, that kind of stuff is going to show up there as well.
0: Oh, I like it. I actually my my Twitter has just been so devoid of anything theological anymore. It's now just what's next on Formula One. And gotcha. my yelling at Formula One officials for something or you know, that I've just like, you know what? No one needs to know my Twitter yeah. because no one cares. Yeah. <laughs> at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Ryan, thank you so much. I, I really appreciated you taking the time. Fascinating work. I cannot wait to see kind of what comes of it. I cannot wait to uh get a hold of your dissertation when it's done. Uh, which I can confidently say there's gonna be a lot more people interested in yours than mine. (laughs) So I'm I'm super excited for it. Uh, Yeah. Thanks for being here. And I look forward to having you back. Thanks, Aaron.